have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. I hate listening to podcasts about films and horror movies being somebody that uh, just like you guys, and this is not to put anybody on a pedestal, but this is just the truth of the matter. I've been an obsessive horror fan since I was a little kid. And that doesn't mean that um, I was obsessive in the way that, man, I watched The Shining 57 times every single year of my life. I was obsessive where it wasn't just The Shining and um, The Exorcist and Nightmare on Elm Street that I watched. I watched fucking uh, Nightmare City. <laughs> and fucking skullduggery and the capture of Bigfoot and all the fucking worthless bullshit that you could ever find at any video store ever. I would fucking rent that bullshit and I'd watch all of it. So at this point in my life, for almost 42 years old, when I go into listening to a new horror podcast, if that podcaster and and bless your heart. You want to start a podcast. You want to sit and talk about horror movies. You want to let everybody know how how much of a big, huge fan you are because you really loved Hereditary. Um, but if you get on there to talk about Suspiria and you just watched it for the first time this week, you really don't have an opinion about that movie. Sick Enough, burn. Not, not one I want to listen to. Sick burn. Tell him, just, tell him, tell him, Grandpa, tell him. I am a grandpa. That's what this Astro Radio Z essentially is a grandpa podcast. Yeah. It's, it's a podcast for, for people that don't that want you to get off their fucking lawn. <laughs> tired of you walking on the goddamn fucking lawn. And uh want you to come in and listen to a bunch of old guys with some beers or whatever libation of choice that you have and and sit and talk about some trashy ass movies and here we are and i'm i'm speaking obviously i am i'm derek the host of this stupid show and with me today i have uh the host of motion picture massacre mr vaughn <laughs> i love that brain fart right there that was great, that was great. <laughs> no it's called building tension okay it's called building something it's not a brain fart fawn right 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 i never had brain farts on this show no or in life in general so (laughs) welcome back to this show vaughn how you doing tonight doing well how are you i am wonderful uh i didn't think when i came back to astro radio z the first thing i was going to want to talk about is andy milligan of all motherfuckers on the face of the planet but here we are yay we're here to do another director series uh, episode on, uh, of all people, Andy fucking Milligan. Yeah. What Yay. do you think of this? I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Why are you so happy about this? Because I think it's, I think this is the year. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of companies putting out stuff last year. And then like Severin is putting out a big box set this year. So I think it's the year for like Andy Milligan. I think it's the year for people to go back and go, Hey, this weird old gay guy who made really bad films really deserves our attention. 
if you would have caught me 15 years ago yeah and said those exact same words i would have told you to fuck off (laughs) because that was when i saw the immortal movie the rats are coming the werewolves are here which has always been since probably 15 16 years ago my least favorite movie of all time it's yeah. well documented on this podcast that I think that is the biggest piece of shit probably ever made. <laughs> that now here we are sitting in 2019 that I'm willing to sit and watch through and do a marathon this month of all the Andy Milligan movies. Yeah. Um. Oh, man. To hear somebody say that this is the year of Andy Milligan, man, only Trump could be the president of this world <laughs> of this america <laughs> the room right trump's so, trump's america we're living in the world's gone topsy-turvy yeah i, I don't even know what to say but you aren't even the one to blame for this episode coming into fruition not really no the man next to you mr evan how what do you want to go by evan you just want to go by evan yep <laughs> evan uh-huh. was razzing me on the twitter He's been a follower of my podcast for a while, and now he's a decent dude. He he starts razzing me on the Twitter because I, I decide to throw some shade because that's what Twitter is. You just go on there to talk bullshit and be an yeah. idiot. Um, I forgot who it was. I think it was Severin was promoting their new releases because I think they're releasing some blues of uh, the rats are coming. The werewolves are here and uh, the ghastly ones. Some, yeah. Some yeah. some double feature bullshit of two movies. Nobody should ever fucking watch. Are you kidding um, Blu-ray, high def, 4K scan. I I want a 4K scan of the the rats are coming. The werewolves are here. I want it. I want as crisp as possible. I want to be able to see the pubes that are stuck on the film. You know what I mean? Because I know that Andy probably probably fuck it at one time. Oh, this is my love. Those pubes are the only things that'll be in focus that entire fucking movie. (laughs) The rats weren't. Oh, either never rats. So I, I'm throwing shade to Severin like, oh, yeah, that's a wonderful double feature of movies to fall asleep to. Yep. And then Evan chimes in. Well, Derek, you should know that Nightbirds is a wonderful film and you should watch this and that. And, and I literally am turned into the heel of this whole situation because then Severin chimes in and a bunch of other people chime in. And I'm sitting here like with my thumb up my ass going, okay. Well, I guess I have to rewatch some Andy Milligan movies because I'm an idiot who always thinks that at some point a film could change for me because as people, you know, we're always changing. We're always evolving. We're growing. We're never the same. I'm the same way about movies. I'll go back and I'll revisit something. Yeah. So here we are. I watched most of. I still haven't watched them all yet. (laughs) Because I had to take a break. I got through like 11 of his movies and my brain just shut down and said, Derek, no more. I can't do this fucking shit anymore. What the fuck are you doing to me? And I, you want to know what movie it was, Vaughn, what? that broke me? The what? Weirdo. <laughs> I had to stop. <laughs> After The Weirdo. And the reason I'm saying that, Vaughn, is because in an upcoming episode of his podcast, we're going to be covering The Rats Are Coming, The Werewolves Are Here. I think out of... Yeah. 
out of a uh, sadistic delight. I'm sure that's why Vaughn is having me watch this fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Um, that in the weirdo we're going to be talking about on this podcast. So watch out yeah. motion picture massacre. We're going to future episode. You'll be hearing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was yeah. the weirdo. Yeah. The two, the two that kind of broke me when I first watched them, I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck did this guy do? Um, and he, he, that's a remake, the weirdo. It's not even like an original concept that it came out in like 88, 87. He made that in like the seventies and it got lost and he decided to remake it. So it's even better. Well, he, well, there are films that we wish that he, that were lost by his, that he just pretty much said, Hey, I'm going to take the tame stream trip from this one and put them in European clothing. All right, whatever. I'll get to that when we get there. Uh, <laughs> it's actually the film. It's actually the two films after these two films we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. What made you want to seek out Andy Milligan and actually watch any of this shit? Well, a friend of mine was doing a podcast. uh, My friend, Stephen Thompson, he was doing a podcast called just another fucking movie podcast back in the day. Um, And he was a fan of Milligan's work. And he said, Hey, you know, like we were just kind of getting being friends and stuff like that. And he's like, Hey, you know, you want to do a podcast? I said, sure. He's like, well, you're going to do a retrospective of all his work. He's like, okay. I watched him over the course of a week. We recorded like a six hour podcast because it's just like you talk about every film, even though like the ones where it's like, okay, this is the same film just with different clothing. Right. Um, we just kind of went through it real quick, but it's still like a four or five hours podcast recorded it all as well. He gets back to me a couple days later and audacity ate it. And forever I've been going, fuck, why did I waste all that time? But I've kind of rewatched his films over the years. And like, especially when I found, I got a copy of Nightbirds. And that's when I really started to reassess his work. And I was like, wait, this guy actually was pretty good. Like, where was the fuck? When did the railroad spike go through his head and really really fuck him up? (laughs) That's a good question. You know? And there are some films, like, after the two we're talking about here, there's a couple of stinkers. And then it goes, he goes back. And, like, it's like, it's like, you know, a high and then a huge low and then a high. And then the low just never ends. It's like after one point, it just keeps going down and down and down into the depths of hell. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think it's because there's a lot of these guys that like these lo-fi kind of grindhouse pioneers who are doing films that don't get the recognition that maybe maybe one or two films. Um, and it's just like, you know what? He did like 30 something movies, 12 of them are lost. Um, and I was like, I, I need to champion, I need to chomp at the bit of this and champion this guy every once in a while, because it's, you know, I, I love it. I love like guys like, you know, John Waters and stuff like that. But I think if there wasn't a guy like Andy Milligan, I don't think John Waters would be around. Oh, I think you're 100 you know I mean? I, I Yeah, that's absolutely. Especially after watching um, at least one of the films that we're going to talk about tonight. Right. It's very apparent that John Waters and him had a lot in common. I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Ed Wood. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the, the spirit of somebody that by any means necessary wants to make a film and yeah. you know taste be damned budget be damned resources be damned i'm gonna make this movie there's something charming about that yeah i mean there's certain things about wood that i don't particularly care about you know the spousal abuse and the yeah you know that kind of stuff eh, you know you can overlook and a lot of people these days have this kind of really hard problem with looking at art for art's sake and not looking at the people who abuse it like you know with Polanski, you know, he's a rapist, fine. Um, or are the all these other people who've worked on and made movies over the years? I mean, there's certain people that I can go, ugh, you know, uh, I'm never gonna 
you know, look at their work and never be like critical on it. Cause I just have a thing about it, but everybody has that kind of thing. We're like, Oh, this guy was a real asshole. I can't watch any of his films, but it's like, you're really giving yourself a disservice to not watch that stuff. Even if it's just trash like this or, or woods work, which I think fluctuates. And I think it's always kind of good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's just that the fact that he, he sometimes would get the money. And if he kept the money in the budget and didn't spend it on alcohol, <laughs> it was a fine film. And then sometimes when he spent all the money on alcohol, it was just like, fuck, like it's still a good, it's still a fun fucking film, you know, like taking out trade, which is fun as fuck. And it's the weirdest kind of pro LGBT film you've ever seen in the seventies. Um, but it's, it's, you can definitely see that most of that money probably went to his, went, went into his pockets and he probably paid for a whole bunch of rounds of beer. Uh, and just, but it's a great film. And then, you know, and guys like this, it's like, you know, he definitely wasn't given the opportunities to make good movies. You know, he made stuff like, you know, pretty much by the seat of his pants. Um, and like with whatever the hell he can get. And I, but I, I really admire that kind of shit. I really admire when a guy can just sit there and make a film and do the best. You know, it's much different now when people are still making films and still doing that. It's great. But I think they don't look at those guys that came before them and go, hey, this guy made this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And like, I can do the same thing. They just kind of go out there and randomly just make a film that's pretty much as similar as a lot of the films that are made back in the 60s and 70s. It's just that it's not as good, I guess you can say. I don't know. Well, there's more of an awareness now. There's more of yeah. a self-awareness now to the the no-budget underground guys. And it's very rare that you find somebody that is just so detached from ever, anything. And that's why I think someone like Neil Breen that comes into the zeitgeist who, oh. who <laughs> he is just like, have you ever watched a movie? Do you even have an, a concept of how they're constructed, how narrative works, yeah. how plot works? It's it's when somebody like that gets behind a camera that you get interesting things. Not saying Neil Breen is a good director by any stretch of the fucking imagination, <laughs> but I think when you, when you're talking about people that endure, like their work endures, uh, regardless of the fact that most of their oeuvre maybe is called shit or is awful, yeah. but is but is unique enough that it, there's a voice there. That's where you know. I want to dig in and give those people a chance. You know, Andy Milligan absolutely is one of those voices. Ed Wood, absolutely one of those voices, regardless of their actual personal histories, the work that has lived on past them, regardless of the fact that some of the stuff is just downright horseshit, just dog shit. It deserves to be talked about. And I don't think, even though it's shocking to me that, you know, as we said before, this may be 2019, the year of Andy Milliken. <laughs> Jesus fucking Mary and Joseph, that makes that like a little bit of vomit goes into the back of my throat when I when I say or even think about something like that. I think it's good. It's good when people start talking about stuff outside of Kubrick, yeah, or Tarantino, yeah, yeah. your Wells. You know, let's let's talk about some of these guys that that lived like. Of anybody that I've seen in a long time, and right. it became very apparent to me the more I watched Andy Milligan, um, his life was definitely reflected in his work. That's in the early work, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Evan, what made you want to start? Because you obviously started your own personal journey into Andy yeah, Milligan's was, worth. What made you want to watch this stuff? 
this was just kind of accidental for me. I had gotten the uh, the Blu-ray of this, the two movies we're talking about tonight. And um, I can't remember why I ordered it. Um, but uh, after I, I <laughs> said, said everyone who ever picked up an Andy Milligan movie in their <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fresh at that. Like I have, I had never seen anything. This, the, the first thing I watched was, was seeds. And um, wow. And, what a movie to start out with. Yeah. So, so that, that was kind of what was interesting about our little back and forth on Twitter was we, we had actually formed opinions of Andy Milligan with completely separate samples you had watched movies that I hadn't seen and I had watched movies you hadn't seen yet. And what I thought was interesting afterwards, seeing some of your comments was that, yeah, you didn't actually hate the one that I liked, you know, like it, it turned out that we both, we were sort of at least, you know, star rating wise, we were sort of uh, parallel. And yeah, we were in the same a, wheelhouse a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So yeah, when you had, I, when I saw seeds, I got really excited. I thought, Oh man, I have got to get into these. And I, and I noticed like you guys had uh, said that the, that the labels were looking at putting more out. And so I was thinking, Oh, this is a whole new world that I'm going to be able to get into soon. And then you, you chimed in and said, you know, it's going to put me to sleep. So, um, (laughs) so I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what happens here, but I, I can't digest a dozen movies in a day uh like you can obviously so i'm gonna watch these as we talk about them the only movies i've seen so far are vapor seeds and monstrosity oh ooh boy so i've got all the all the shit in the middle i still haven't seen boy are you ready fun roller coaster. You, yeah do you really feel that your psyche is ready for the journey we're about to take it's not that bad shut up jesus christ Oh, Vaughn, don't give me that. The reason why for many years I had a buddy of mine I used to be in a band with and he had a copy of Bloodthirsty Butchers and the rats are coming and he kept pushing them on me like, dude, you got to watch these. These are you're going to love these. He's like, right. I could not get more than 15 minutes into either of those movies without falling asleep. And I tried for years <laughs> Yeah. These movies were fucking sleeping pills for me. So when I said that on Twitter, I meant it. Literally, I fell asleep to this. Like every time I tried to watch one of these fucking gimmicks, I fucking fell asleep. Yeah. But I can't wait to see. Oh, man. But uh, tonight, the movies, obviously, you read the, the title of the episode. The movies we're going to talk about, two of his early movies, uh, Vapors, which is a 30-minute short about two gay men in a bathhouse. And uh, Seeds, which is about as close to an early era John Waters movie as I've ever seen not made by John Waters. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. uh, it is something. It is a force of fucking nature. And these two movies sideswiped me in a way I was not expecting. I think the, the turnaround for me with Milligan started when I... I, I I watched all of this out of order, and it's usually not how I sit when I decide I'm going to deep dive into a director. I usually start at the beginning and want to form my opinion with the director as he grows and see where that journey takes him. For some reason, Milligan, because I had already started watching shit out of order in the past, I just started choosing movies. 
And the movie that finally turned everything around for me that made me want to go back and watch was Nightbirds. Okay. It reminded me a lot of like, you know, the French New Wave. And I, I was it was a quiet, understated movie, but sort of absurd. Um, so I was like, oh, this there's something here. This is interesting. It's kind of funny. It's depressing. It's uh weird. <laughs> and I didn't know if I was supposed to take it seriously or if it was supposed to be a satire. I did. I'm like, okay, there, there's something to work with here. There isn't just people dressed in dollar store St. Vinny's outfits <laughs> that they, they found on the floor talking a bunch of bullshit that nobody cares about for an hour and a half. <laughs> so I went back and decided to start watching this stuff. So we, we go into Vapors, mm-hmm. the first movie. Now, uh, Evan, would you like to describe what is the plot of, of Vapors, the movie we're going to start off with here, the short film? Yeah. <clears throat> Vapors is about uh, two purportedly gay men that are having their first visit to a uh, bathhouse. And it's supposed to be St. Mark Street bathhouse, which uh, is that in that's in New York City. New right? York, St. Yep. Mark, yeah. St. Mark's. So, um, yeah, we, we uh, were introduced to uh, a guy named Thomas, um, who, you know, we over the opening credits, he's on the bus um, on the way to this bathhouse. And you you kind of get the idea when he's at the at the counter that this is his first visit because he doesn't know the. The way of the world he doesn't know what you're supposed to do yeah um and uh, but he wants to act like he does he wants to act like this isn't something new to him yeah um yeah so he he uh i don't know if he's nervous about about doing this or not but he definitely needs some uh some pointers um and he gets into you know, he gets into one of the rooms and and he's he sort of he gets a couple of hints from the uh the frequent uh bathhouse you know guests. yeah like the, the roaming crows that are just cackling and ganging it up as they run into everybody's room and fucking annoy everybody it's yeah, so be- yeah it's so beautiful those two guys just come in and just ha- harass the shit out of him every fucking like two or three minutes which yeah. I, I i really thought i thought was a great a great kind of way to break up the tension in that film is have these two, I, is have, well has it's from two and then by the end of it it's like five or six guys run into the room um yeah yeah, and our, our main our main characters describe it as sort of like an insane asylum. Yeah, these yeah. The, because all, all these queens running around, and you know, and they're they've got their they're they're doing the um, the presentation. You know, they're they're talking in this uh, effeminate manner and 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 being, you know, mm-hmm. the the standard sort of uh, yeah, uh, the stereotypical, the queen. stereotypical, yeah. and. Um, and so anyway, uh, Thomas is, is basically, he's got, he's got his, uh, his rules. Basically he goes into a room and he leaves the door open in a jar, turns out the light. And, uh, that's supposed to be how you get a, get a trick. And, uh, he happens to, um, attract a, a guy that's whose, whose visit is also his first. Yeah. And, um, and then basically the movie, the 30 minutes is the, is the, the conversation that these two guys have as they get to know each other. Right. And uh, man, it is, it's, it's really engaging. Yeah. I think it's really engaging because it, it, it really, it contrasts, you know, these two dudes um, and what they, you know, want to get out of this encounter with all the other, with all the crazy people. Yeah. Right. And, um, 
and uh, and you know, it gets pretty moving. Uh, we we get we you know the guy that uh, the guy that comes into his room is his name is Mister Jaffrey, I think, or Jaffe. Jaffe, yes, Jaffe. played by Robert uh, Dada. Yeah, he he seems to have a different motive for this visit. He does. I don't know if he came in with the intention of uh, you know having his first fling at the bathhouse or not, but it it doesn't turn out to be his first fling it, it turns out to be something else that he's doing i something, think something else that he's like a confessional well that's i think that's 100 percent what what this is and the the movie itself is is kind of like a fly on the wall experience it's it's so unlike just about any other milligan movie you'll ever watch the only other movie i i would probably liken this to is flesh pot on 42nd street very fly in the wall kind of like a slice of life type film it's it's soft it's understated and the conversations that are had between the actors and the portrayals of these characters feel very, very real. And uh, Mr. Jaffe, who is the gentleman who comes upon Thomas, who's the main character of this film, the, the, uh, the gay man who you described came in, but tried to act like he had been there before, but really was kind of learning the ropes. Um, We come to find out, as they are talking to each other and their guards start to be let down because I think, you know, Thomas was under the impression he just had to show up there and, you know, act he was cool. going to have, yeah, he just had to act cool and he was, you know, maybe get his dick sucked, you know, have a little fun, do whatever. Um, but then this guy comes in and totally throws that game plan out the window because he's having a real conversation, engaging, um, affectionate uh conversation with another another person that all of a sudden now it's not about sex whatsoever even though the walls are lined with huge drawings of cocks and (laughs) all all this other shit um you come to find out that mr jaffe is actually a straight man who's uh married and in a horrible marriage because uh, a year prior to this day, his son died in a drowning accident. And the the story turns really dark, uh, not dark in the way that it's, you know, something really bad happens. It's just very real. And it's yeah. not the light, fluttery kind of atmosphere that outside of that room, the queens are projecting that are constantly yeah. shrill, constantly right. running in, which is a lot of what Milligan's other work is like <laughs> very in your face and shrill. But yeah. um, in this room, it's almost like these two guys could have been in a coffee shop. They could yep, have been right. anywhere other than this place, but it just happened to be in this one place. Now, um, per what you were, you were asking whether or not you think that was he really gay? Was he there for that experience? I, and this was my own opinion. And this, after watching it a couple times, because uh, the first time I really liked this movie, the second time I loved this movie. Yeah. Everything about this movie just felt so genuine and real that only somebody that lived this life could tell this story this way and have the perspective that this movie gives. But my thought is that he's there talking to Thomas about his son and about losing him and about how much he missed him and how it was nice to be there with Thomas um, because maybe his son was gay. Yeah. 
And I, I have a feeling maybe this is like a way for him to reconnect and have a little bit of that in his life again uh, without yeah. having his son there. What did you think, Vaughn? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of get that. I mean, what I get with Jaffe is that he when he first walks into the room, he kind of says that he's been there for a couple of hours because I know that when I when I've read about bathhouses back in the day was that they were kind of a mix of, you know, the kind of gay kind of get your thing on there were some where that was and then there's some where there were actually elite businesses where actually people went to go you know bathe and stuff like that you know um and sometimes those people went to the more seedier ones because they can get they can be left alone you know what i mean and like it seems yeah. like that's what he wanted to be he wanted to be left alone and he just kind of coincidentally just walked in his room not aware that somebody you know not aware of the the rules because he's an open door with the with a light off Right. click the light on there's somebody sitting there he doesn't know he doesn't know what the hell's going on um but yeah i can kind of agree with you that maybe his son was either gay or he just needed some kind of confidant that was outside of his own circle yeah. to kind of talk about this because maybe he hasn't been able to because of his wife and because his life is so kind of that kind of straight and narrow and you know normal you no know, you know manly men we don't talk about our feelings and we don't talk about the things that have happened in our lives um especially then back then in like the 60s um, it was all that that all that bullshit was still around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it does feel like either it could be either that or he just needed someone to confide into, um, and kind of keep it outside of the world that he lives in. Um, you know, and the 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 sad it's a, it's a really sad fucking story. You know, it's because it just it just goes like, and it's like for a half hour I was like, oh, this is I, you don't realize it's going to be a half hour until the ending ha- hits, and it's it has to be this. Uh, you know, it's like we got to put a shocker at the ending, um, and we have to make it some kind of like you know, like this is going to be some kind of grimy film that's going to be played in the middle of two other films. Um, but yeah, you can definitely tell that yeah, that Milligan was you know he knew about this kind of life and he knew about this work. You know, there the stories are that he was you know an out homosexual at that time, which is very rare for people to be out in the sixties. Um, he works a lot. In, too. Yeah, he well, he worked really, a lot really. in theater, like a lot of independent New York theater. So, like the underground New York theater that was going on around that time, um, and it was a little more open, and a little more kind of you know, uh, there was a lot more going on where people can express themselves more openly in that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I can kind of, I can get, I can get, bleh, bleh, I can get around what you're th- what you're thinking there. Well, my my main thing was, is that a lot of what the movie centers around and the themes that that I caught on with were were, um, just male experience dealing with sexuality and relating to other people in general, because uh, uh, Mr. Jaffe, a lot of the conversation that he has during the film is about, you know, his wife and how they've completely become fractured and they don't talk to each other. They don't see each other. She, when he gets home from work, she leaves and is out of there and he has to constantly pick up after her, her feminine hygiene products. And there's huge (laughs) conversations between the two of the guys about, about how disgusting that was just like this whole experience of people that just aren't comfortable with, with women confiding in other men. And it's it's funny that it's it's a gay man and a straight man because they're both not very kind of comfortable. I mean, no offense, we we all have had wives or girlfriends. 
uh, when they leave their shit around that we don't particularly want to deal with. It's like, ugh, it's like, it's like nuclear holocaust. It's like you have, <laughs> you, you, you know, you're wearing the oven mitts and you're trying to move that shit around because you just don't want to, you don't want to deal with any of it. You know, but do you put those oven mitts back in the, the, oh, and, the little cabinet there so I mean, nobody knows? I, I, I try to find ones that look exactly the same and throw those out. <laughs> And so she doesn't notice. I just, oh, these look, oh, these are perfect. Buy them and throw those ones in. And as I'm driving away from the store, I chuck the other ones out the window. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can get, I can get that that they're trying they're, that they can relate on certain aspects of what he's talking about. And the, uh, the other character, you can see that he, that it's definitely that he feels that like, not like his life's a waste, but he definitely he's thrown, he's lost a lot of things become, you know, coming out um, mm-hmm. in that time period. Because there's that whole thing after Jeffrey leaves, Joffrey leaves, um, where he's just, you know, completely heartbroken about the whole thing. You know, well, because because uh, Mr. Jeffy or Jaffy or whatever the fuck yeah. uh, goes out and and decides he's going to leave, but leaves him with this huge flower, which was essentially a symbol of his child's death. Yeah, I, and- I, I thought I thought about that. It just came to me today, actually, a few hours ago. I think that that flower was going to the grave site. Yes, it was. Okay, you you agree. So it took yeah. me a while to get that, and he gives it to Thomas instead. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I and what you're referring to, Vaughn, uh, the you know he has this melancholy that comes on once uh, Mr. Jaffe leaves Thomas. All of a well, sudden, I his- feel I feel that Thomas has this melancholy through the whole thing. From him sitting in the room waiting, he's not eagerly waiting for someone mm-hmm. to show up. Yes, he's kind of. It feels like he's doing this kind of not out of desperation, but he's like he's loneliness. Yeah, he seems like he's very lonely, and he needs to. And because the the guys who constantly run into the room, he has he does not like at all because they're catty and they're bitchy and they're you know they're these little queens that are just running around talking shit about everybody, and you know, and they're kind of like the. Uh, the Greek chorus, I guess you can say, of, yeah. of the episode. Um, and he just cannot stand them at all. Even when they pop up and give him the gift, he's like, get the fuck. He's just like, get out. I don't want you guys in here. Get away. Go away. I don't care what Like they keep busting in because they think that they're going to get to see something. Right. That the two of them are either having sex or kind of performing or whatnot. So they constantly are running in. And they're probably doing this to everybody, but everybody doesn't give a shit because they're probably like, oh, like, let them watch. Who cares? Um because it just seems like a place like that where it's like people people are just sitting in rooms watching other people f- perform on other people. Right. Because um, they're getting to, get, to wait their way. turn, essentially. Yeah. They're getting off in some way. Um, but yeah, it's he's he's lonely. He wants to do something. He's not particularly he's probably heard of these places before, but he's never actually went out and ventured out to them. And he's trying now and he just, you know, and it's just it's a bummer because it's like, yeah, I'm lonely enough. And I'm the, the first guy I meet in the place is a is a dad who's grieving over his dead son and he's just you know it's just a it's a real bummer for a guy who's already like really lonely to begin with and it's like fuck but he you know? also and, i think he also felt a real genuine connection with him and oh, yeah. that's what the real bummer of it is is that a thomas down underneath everything honestly wants that connection with somebody and then yeah. the very end of the film the way the film ends <laughs> another dude walks in yeah. looking to, to you know get, get, get on, it rocks yeah. off and thomas is just like okay well this will make me feel better momentarily yeah. um now is it uh evan you have the blu-ray right 
Yeah. That vinegar syndrome put out. Let me ask you a question. Does that bar still on the uh, end of the... Uh, it is. No? It is. I was wondering. I was going to ask you guys. So, yeah, that final scene, there's, there's a very... Uh, a, the guy comes in. He goes, you know, he pretty much asks him if he's alone. He says, yeah, you'll come in. Yeah. And as he's coming in, he's only wearing like a, like a, the, the, the kind of, right? well, everybody's wearing that robe. Bathhouse robes. Yeah. yeah the world, but he's only wearing the robe and nothing else. And as he opens the robe, you get a quick clip of his cock and then a, a big black strip, which they probably did for reasons because they didn't probably want to get in trouble for because at, at the time, any kind of nudity, unless por- and pornography was still out- outlawed. And the yeah. only way you would see porn in theaters was educational films. Right. Um, so Ooh. that was probably something that he had to do. Maybe. I didn't know if that was an artistic choice. No, absolutely. It's not that yeah. censorship. Yeah. It's okay. definitely him being censored. Um, okay. Cause they probably didn't want to get in trouble. Cause that scene, that film seemed like it had like a lot of, pro- if you looked at the beginning of that film, it was produced by an actual production company. Like he probably, he probably gave them this story and was like, Hey, I have an idea. Some probably someone he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, "Oh yeah, well, just do it. Give you know, give us you know, cut a film together, whatever it's going to take you, thirty minutes, and and give us something." And they probably went through and said, "Oh yeah, this is not going to run." And then they blackbarred it, you know, like pretty much, pretty much scratched the pin, the the whole the that whole end scene out, like yeah, just which is seconds. which is too bad. I mean, regardless of the fact, if you guys like seeing hanging dong in any movies, <laughs> like right up know. in front, but it is. It literally is such a symbol for the sadness of this movie is yeah. the final shot is essentially just a cock walking at you <laughs> yeah. while this man is is wiping away tears. And yeah, holding yeah. a big flower in his chest. He's yeah, wiping away tears. He's about to get impaled. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> Way to really bum the place out. And now... <laughs> And now let's watch like a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. Like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do that now. I, want to, I just want to go home and like, you know, hug my my wife or something like that. You know, like, I don't know. I don't want to be in this shitty, seedy Forty Second Street drive-in theater anymore. I want to go home. Right. I wonder what it must have been like to see this in a theater in a grindhouse or something. Yeah. Uh, because this is a pretty down. Mo- I mean, it's stark black it's and white, yeah. mostly mm-hmm. handheld very understated no music no through this thing it's like watching a stage production a little more dynamically shot than a stage production which would eventually go away in andy milligan movies are you talking about okay come on now we've decided uh paul and i paul is a co-host of mine on another podcast called podcast at orgy castle um we she watched a bunch of these with me and we we termed it (laughs) pulling a milligan after a while is where you just have medium wides to wide shots of people standing directly in the middle of the frame one light off to the side and they talk for 10 minutes at a time about nothing right yeah i don't i don't know i I think i think it's fantastic in in a crazy sort of it's a crazy sort of way like we're going to talk about you know, was it? Uh, fuck, I can't think of it now. Seeds, <laughs> seeds of sin. We're next. Um, I, I like, and the thing is, if you look at his filmography from '65 till the ghastly ones, like, oh, well, seeds of sin came out the same time. Even though allegedly the Naked Witch, the film that he, the first film he ever released, um, something weird put out on, but that's considered it's a, considered a lost film. So I don't know if that's the same film. I, I know that 
in the 60s they put out you know 12 or 13 ti- films with the same title they changed yep. the titles all the time when it would go to when it would go to different states cuz they wanted to get a different you know it oh this film played here 6 months ago let's change the title and we'll put it out again um so i don't know if that's the same film like well, this there's film- another film like right around that time i thought was the right one called yeah. the naked witch and i started watching i'm like this is not fucking andy milligan <laughs> well like all those early films those early 60 films are all like roughies and um kind of like horror movies and stuff like that so well, it seems like they were a little more along the lines not necessarily of vapors but a little more reality based than no yeah a little more period piece horror movies that he would come well to, yeah you know, especially for. when you get to this film the next film we're coming about but yeah you would definitely that these were probably taken from some kind of aspect that he may have knew or maybe he knew people who were in like the prostitution and stuff like that from working in independent cinema yeah like uh, or like working in independent theater because those people all mix together um so it's probably oh yeah okay if you have like he probably has lived or at least seen this kind of crap so that's all those films are like that but there are a lot of roughies which you know nothing wrong with roughies if you have a you have a problem with roughies you should really get off your high horse and watch a good one every once in a while it'll really it'll really improve your sex life with your wife Oh yeah, well, I, it seems like uh, my other podcast is becoming a roughies podcast for some yeah. unknown fucking reason. Seems yeah. to be the only thing we watch is rape movies on that podcast. But well, there's an, uh, there's a word orgy in your in your title, so rape is a it's a good it, form of an orgy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, that's a. The, <laughs> I don't. I'm going to slowly walk away from that comment, Evan. When it was yeah. all said and done, vapors. What did you end up walking away with with this one? Did you dig this? I I dug this a lot. Yeah. I I think it's I think it's great. Like I said uh before it's engaging. You know, I love watching a movie that can where it's basically just a conversation and it can keep your attention and keep you wondering what what is this about? And then not only that, but think about it afterwards. Um, you know, like I, I had that you know, enlightenment today about the flowers and then what you guys said about um about the fact that or the possibility that his son was gay. I yeah. hadn't even thought of that. Um, so I really like a, a script that can sort of dance around the important points. Basically, yeah. you have to infer the reality that's behind the script. And so I really enjoyed that. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Do you think this is like a pro gay movie? Like, absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So I didn't know, I didn't, I couldn't tell because of the portrayal of the, of the goofy, uh, the, the Queens running around. I couldn't tell if that was sort of a sympathetic sort of like, you know, you know, these guys are just having fun and, you know, we don't have to expect everybody to be so deep and heavy all the time. You know, these guys yeah. are having a great, no, I, great I time the, and we don't, and we don't time period. Let's merge it, that. I think for the time period it works. And I think if people look at it today, um, I think it's something that will continue to work. You know what I mean? Cause they're, they're, you know, with dealing like with dealing, I, I'm friends with a lot, a lot of gay people and you have that kind of click of the kind of, you know, queenie type gays who are, you know, they gaggle together and they're very kind of bitchy and stuff like that. And you have the ones who are like, they don't particularly like to deal with that type of shit. And you can still see it today. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a construct of a concept from way back when homosexuality was still closeted to now where it's out in the, the bout, um, you still have those kind of clicks and stuff like this, like with straight culture, you have clicks of 
people who are into this stuff or that stuff mm-hmm. and you know and they all gather in the same area um so i think mm-hmm. it's still like i like i think there's certain things that the independent cinema got right yeah with with this stuff you know mm. and i just and felt I think, like um like the the entire movie and the bathhouse in general felt like a microcosm yeah of that culture and it, to me it it really felt like a document of a real experience between two guys it didn't yeah. feel like it was scripted to me it felt like i mean obviously it was scripted it, yeah. i mean it's put together in such a way that it actually has an impactful final act mm-hmm. that culminates from everything that came before it yeah. um it just had a, a sort of authenticity that you don't see very often especially from films of that era mm-hmm. concerning this kind of content um not none of it's played for laughs really no. i think that even the queens um while they're over the top uh there's authenticity to their performances as well and yeah. they're they're catty in a way that you believe well, like that those said, are like, real people i feel that they break up a lot of the like a lot of what's going on to kind of just make people not completely feel like you're just gonna be bombed for the next 30 minutes <laughs> right like, right just, they they're, they're brought in constantly to kind of like to realign the story you know what i mean like as right. they keep going deeper and deeper every time they pop up it resets itself you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you get like a little bit of like oh this is just the tension they're nice tension breakers it's like oh okay thank god okay okay now we're gonna be miserable 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 oh, okay they're back all right <laughs> but even the, the miserable parts there's it's super engaging no yeah definitely like you feel for these people so for me i this was a light 30 minutes even though it's pretty heavy the um the movie flew by vaughn Mm -hmm. at the end of the day what do you think of this thing i think it should be shown at every bar mitzvah in the country (laughs) (laughs) no i i feel that i i feel that like now that this is out on Blu-ray, I feel that more people should see it. Um, you know, because I think it's something that like should be shown. I mean, it could be shown in like schools and stuff like that if you want to kind of give an idea of of homosexuality in a different time period. Um, you know, and it could be a positive thing. It's just that the fact that it was made by an independent director, it's an independent film, it's a little sleazy. You know, especially that ending is, you know, it's just like, oh, we need to keep these people in the seats. They're not going to, str- they're going to want to slit their wrists by the end of this episode. Oh, wait. there's no cock in this fucking movie. Hanging dong right there at the end. All right. I'm still in. Okay. <laughs> bring on, bring on you know, bring on teenage mother. I'm ready for that movie. <laughs> the trip. We're ready for the trip right now. Yeah. So, my uh, mother. Yeah, oh my gosh so <laughs> 1965 vapors all around thumbs up on this one now let's move on to his yeah. next movie obviously he had a ton of movies as vaughn had said that were lost the time um distributors either took them the prints they were in grindhouses and they got lost or he had them and got lost eight. in moves and eight in total there's a bunch of them they all sound great here some of the titles the naked witch the gay life Compass Rose, um, The Degenerates, The Promiscuous Sex, yep. Depraved, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. I mean, so many titles mm-hmm. that I would love to see. The yeah. Filthy Five. Yeah. That sounds so much better than The Hateful Eight in every way. <laughs> Give me The Filthy Five every fucking day of the week. But uh, 
The next movie we'll talk about is uh, is Seeds, Seeds of Sin from 1968. But first, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some shrill incest. So much shrill incest. <laughs> so stick around, folks. This could scare you. I was being trained to be uh, a, a, a warlock. I was being trained with witches that were in the, in the religion. The story about the digging, the hearing of the sounds from hell is very real. After Papa tells us to hold a knife and then he puts his big hand on, he puts you in pieces that eat into the neck, cuts it. You couldn't speak to the devil right away. You had to earn your right to speak to the devil. I listened to a tape recording. There were infants crying, children crying. And adults chanting. If you, if you mess with the devil, he'll kill you, he'll kill your family. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. band this week devil master that's uh, from their ep inhabit the corpse and that's the track blood on my shroud and welcome to a new beginning for the stillborn goat heavy metal podcast we're taking what we did before and we're going to truncate it down and fit it into the new astro radio z and so i don't have a lot of time to sit here and ramble on so let's get to the metal uh 2016 uh, gave us the debut EP from genre-crushing Philadelphia band Devil Master. And uh, they had another EP come out in 2017, and then the band uh, popped out of the CD Underground, and they signed with Relapse. 
uh, in 2018, uh, who re-released their demos. They announced the release of their debut album, uh, Satan Spits on Children of Light, and that's coming March 1st. And I've been a big fan and a supporter of Devil Master since basically the word go. Um, you know, so hearing they signed with Relapse was great, um, but you know, it always leaves you wondering if uh, you know a little bit more money and a bigger production is uh, going to lose the slimy charm that got you into the band in the first place. But I got my opinion. You be the judge from here. So uh, this one's from their debut EP. Here is Devil Master with the Devil Master. Here's the latest single uh, from their Relapse debut album release out March 1st. Here is Desperate Shadow from Devil Master. New stuff.
obviously bigger production, uh, but it's still as heavy uh, and as weird and as creepy as uh, the rest of their output. So uh, kudos, Devil Master Relapse, and uh, whoever the producer is, um, they really captured uh, what, what Devil, Devil Master is. Uh, just kind of made that sound a little bit bigger. So very, very cool. Uh, the album is out March 1st. It is Satan Spits on Children of Light from Devil Master. And now let's get back to Derek and uh, the rest of the ARZ crew. And until next time, stay heavy, stay brutal, and I'll see you in the pit. I say welcome, but hello. This is an episode of the bottom shelf, or was it the bottom rack? I can't remember. I honestly can't remember. It's been so long. How you doing? <laughs> wow, just jump and try. I almost feel like David Lee Roth. Oh, hey you! Who said that, baby? How you been? Uh, yeah, welcome to the bottom shelf. Uh, it's, I hope everybody had a banging Christmas and an awesome Thanksgiving and a. Whatever the hell else has happened since the last time we talked and chatted, I, um, I'm i still here. I'm Daniel. Well, my name's Daniel, but my friends call me Daniel, so call me Daniel or whatever you want to call me. Um, and I've watched crappy movies. <laughs> Again, I say that with love. Um, so yeah, we'll jump right to it. I, uh, I've been watching. I picked a movie off the bottom shelf at Walmart. Oh, I think it was the bottom. It might have been next to the bottom. Can't remember. Um, which I love these movies because it just... I'm all about watching independent film, but more so it's like independent film, but there's a certain modicum. <laughs> I, I'm a connoisseur of these types of films, and I love the hard sci-fi and fantasy and horror and stuff. It's, it's I don't care about the human relationship drama. I just don't give a shit. I like really cool laser beams and spaceships, monsters, blood and guts, and stuff like that. So that's kind of sort of the movies that I'm looking for at walmart but i like looking at the bottom of the shelf and uh so that's what this is bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle and oh buddy did i watch one uh, damn all right we're gonna keep this in, uh, i keep this positive and i'm in no way gonna slam the well <laughs> this one might get strafed a little bit it whew. all right it's called the dawn seeker like uh the dish detergent like he's seeking the dawn to scrub my eyeballs from having watched this thing. <laughs> positive. I am positive there's a movie somewhere in this thing. I couldn't find it, but I'm positive there's one in nah, serious. They trust me, he did better than I could ever do. Dawn Seeker, which came out in 2018, uh was written and directed by Justin Price. It's the stars, I don't know, it's nobody I've ever heard of. Um and yeah, it's I have let's see where to begin with this thing. All right. I guess the best way to begin is the synopsis. So um let me give you my best 80s rendition voice here. <clears throat> 
Set in the year 2245, when Earth's sun threatens to wipe out all of humanity, the Dawn Seeker follows five hired mercenaries who travel to an uncharted planet to collect a rare mineral known as Stardust to replenish their dying star. After their spaceship crashes on the alien planet, they are stalked and hunted by a creature far more advanced than anything they have ever encountered before. Okay, um, well, first of all, the premise is a lie, or a synopsis. <laughs> um, whenever you look at the cover of this, which is why I picked this up, I mean, look, it's the same as a book, but I'm all, you know, it's like a kid. You show me some aliens, some guts, and laser beams, and spaceships, and shit, I'm picking that thing up quick, okay? So this thing's called the Dawn Seeker, and you've got what looks like a cross between Lou Gossett Jr.'s character from Enemy Mine and The Predator, staring off into he's just staring off camera kind of like he's uh one of those radio rock christian groups from the mid 90s and you know too important to look at the camera and then down below him you've got dude and chick with pistols and then back behind them there's another dude with pistols and some photoshopped in alien beak faced four-legged alien things and then in the upper right hand corner you've got a ship from starcraft no shit. It is literally a ship from, it belongs to Starcraft. It's a wonder nobody has sued them. Well, maybe that's why the film was on the bottom shelf. I don't know. I can think of a couple of other reasons that I'm going to get to, but again, it's, I say this out of love. Once again, they did more in this film than I could ever do. So, I mean, they've already won. Um, yeah, let's just try to, man, there's some rough stuff in here. There is, there is a lot going on in this film and i will go ahead and just constructively say i wish they had taken one story idea hell two hell three of them <laughs> and just focus on those three but this movie i mean you got bionic thumbs transhumanism aliens dystopian cities spaceships and political upheaval and like homage to halo blade runner and what the hell else did i write on there I'm having a hard to oh yeah and mass effect i mean this like there is so much going on here and it's it's really hard for me to even tell you the freaking story honestly it I've, I feel like I missed something with the story. The problem is, is I don't care enough to go back to watch this. Don't make me watch this film again, please. Dear God, don't make me watch this again. <laughs> um, the acting was cool. I'll give it that. And some of the special effects, some of those are pretty god-awful too. Uh, but some of them really cool. Some of the set pieces really awesome. Even that shoehorned-in Blade Runner-styled scene. There's a scene at the beginning of the film, near the beginning, that is just completely off the wall. Like, I understand them wanting to put a chick in, like, this badass situation and let her be a badass or, or for whatever that fascination is with people. But when at least do it in a film where it fits. You know how, like, Mila Jovovich is doing that in Resident Evil and as ludicrous as it is, I'm still in it because it's like, oh, okay, I buy it, you know, whatever. I'm along for the ride because it fits. There's a scene like that shoehorn, like, near the beginning of this film that has nothing to do with the movie you just see her walking around for some reason her left eye is like painted to whatever like stylishly and in the background you see this blade runner-ish dystopian city but in the foreground where she's at it looks like the gambling ring in running man um and she's walking around and in, in like you know skin tight leather suit this like two sizes too small with some thigh high boots and i think she's got like a couple of weapons on her stuff and anyway and so when she looked like she could fight 
All right. And so when she walks through a back alley, what do people, there's like five or six dudes like, <laughs> I think I will pick a fight with her. That is so, oh, it's so stupid. That really annoys me. First of all, just that. <laughs> But then the fact that they just throw it in the movie and it has nothing to do with the film, that pisses me off as well. So anyway, on to the next set piece. Whenever I said that the summary of the film, the synopsis lied. All right, whenever it said they're stalked and hunted by a creature far more advanced than anything they've ever encountered before, that's bullshit. Because when the movie starts, that creature that's in the Christian rock band on the cover, he's their prisoner. So they have encountered him before. In fact, when the movie starts... One of the the trope of like the goofy badass guy or whatever is taunting the creature, telling him he can't wait to kill him. So I mean, it anyway. That's another thing. Just kind of man, this thing's rough. <laughs> I mean, this thing's rough. I am no one to judge, but the asylum deserves some Oscars with some of their stuff compared to this one. I mean, this is rough, dude. All right. I think I've gone down because like I made a bulleted list of stuff and then eventually it's just like I forgot. I can even see where I started doodling other shit on my little notepad because it just I, there is so much going on in the end that I don't care. I can't even follow it. They the ship crash lands and they are still going to go about their mission to get the stardust to save their star or for whatever reason. And I'm just sitting here wondering. Why go to all that trouble when they could just everybody fly to this planet in the first place, seeing as how the climate is Earth anyway, but whatever. So they're going to all this trouble. And then guess, of course, the uh, Faith Plus One guy, the Christian rock musician alien thing, he escapes. And so like any good alien that would do, if he was in captivity and suddenly has his freedom, he hunts him down. Well, so, you know, I'm hearing Carl's voice in my head. You know, oh, yeah, you know, sort of like the predator. Only, you know, instead of hunting people, I'm crapping. Um, it is. He's like got wing backpack or something that I guess he had anyway when they imprisoned him. Uh, yeah, the, the problem with him when you like for I, I don't know I'm not a filmmaker bust shots I guess profile if when you look at him from the titties up <laughs> like from his breastplate he's got this metal breastplate from there up the costume's pretty cool as long as you don't stay focused on it for too long when you see like his pants and stuff it just falls apart um but kudos to the prop maker I mean they they did what they could do you know you do what you got to do you use what you got and yeah, it was just unfortunate. The cover art of this movie is freaking rad. Um, oh, those little chompy beak alien things on the bottom. I'm guessing that's kind of what the su the summary or the synopsis of the film was alluding to. But that thing's only around for like two minutes, five minutes maybe, and then they kill it. Doesn't matter. And then somehow or another, you get this political upheaval and turns into time travel. And they try to give like this political twist to it, but again, I checked out. I'm like, seriously, I, I hate, I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm not letting you down. I'm certainly not taking the piss on this one, but yeah, this movie was, is just not very good. I, I have just, my knee jerk reaction. This movie is awful. Um, but I, yeah, this is just bad. This is, just, but like I said, the acting was good. 
You do what you can do. You work with what you got. And the acting was really good in this. Some of the special effects were awesome. Some constructive criticism, however. All right, the gun props looked really cool. Like, really freaking cool. I'm a gun nut. And so when I watch sci-fi stuff, I like seeing really cool freaking guns, you know. And some of the pistols, actually all the guns that they use, you could tell they were Nerf guns. They've been repurposed Nerf and, you know, foam dart guns like from Walmart and stuff. Really good. However, there's a cross member piece inside the barrel of these guns, and that's what you put the dart over. <laughs> or when you cock it back and you put the ball in there, whenever you pull the trigger, that little cross piece pops out, you know, like that. And that's what, whenever it pops out, it knocks the ball or the dart out, pushing it out of the barrel. And <laughs> there's a, and, you know, if you just first, like, within waving the gun around, like Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop, you know, with his badge or whatever, you don't notice it. But there's a scene where he's, like, aiming the gun at the chick's face. And the camera is aiming right there. <laughs> and you can see the cross. I mean, the cross, they ain't even trying to hide it. There's a cross member, that piece right there inside the barrel of the gun. And, I mean, they painted it. It's just, for future reference, maybe take that out it takes a couple extra minutes it is you know it would add a little more realism to the to the props because like i said the guns look cool did the cover art deliver did the movie deliver what the cover art promised no and that ultimately i think that's why i would have to tell you maybe not watch this one unless you had nothing else to watch and Honestly, that sounds like pretty good criteria. We have discussed this before on Astro Radio Z. Uh, I, I especially remember us talking about the post-apocalyptic films and the wasteland stuff. It's like, does the cover art of the movie, if you're watching the movie, do you see the cover art anywhere? Does, that, does the movie pay off that promise that the cover art gives you? And, I mean, that's it. So this Don Seeker film, are we given what the cover shows us? Not really. We don't really see that many exterior shots of spaceships we certainly don't see any i guess that might be the escape pods or whatever flying off uh we don't have a alien fronted christian rock band <laughs> not we we had the alien and we had the people there with the guns and stuff but it's just not this movie wanted to be predator and it wanted to be blade runner and it wanted to be mass effect and it wanted to be aliens and it wanted to add all kinds of stuff it wanted to be the expanse uh, what, there's an, there's like another hard sci-fi show. It wanted to be, um, oh, it's that really awesome show on Netflix that I altered carbon. It wanted to be all of these things. It wanted to be Robert, Robert Heinlein and Steve Perry and all jumbled into one. And the problem is whenever you have all those ideas, you, you tend to forget it's easier to focus on one or two ideas in a story and put it that way. When you have all these other ideas, unless you're doing a series, it kind of falls apart. And that honestly, if this dude would refocus your efforts. So if you're listening to this, Justin Price, try a TV series. Like I bet you there's a, you have a big world going on with this thing. And I'd like to see it in a TV series format because instead of having to fit, wanting to fit everything in your idea into this one movie, which I also feel like that might've been the case is like feeling like you've got one shot to do something and you throw everything in there. And it's unfortunate. Believe me, I am guilty of the same thing. But I'd like to see if this were a TV series. If you told me tomorrow, yeah, I'm gonna write a TV series, I'd be like, okay, okay, I'm gonna watch it. That's. I just feel like there was so much going on. But anyway, that's the bottom shelf. The Dawn Seeker. 
I got to give this one a hard pass. I'm sorry. Um, really do not pay money for this. Now, if you're – and see, that's that's the pisser too because on Amazon Prime, it's like a $2.99 rental or something like that. Hell no. No, 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 no. Uh, no, I certainly cannot recommend that. If it were Prime, free to watch well, – I say free – if it were, if you were a member of Prime and you could watch this while as a member of Prime without paying anything extra, eh, screw it, go ahead. I've seen, let me, I've seen worse. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I have seen a lot worse, but I am certainly, if I had paid money for this, I would be eating my monitor. I would be furious. Probably write a couple of death metal songs. So anyway, that's the bottom shelf. I will be watching more. I have been asked to do these, which is kind of awesome. It does make me feel like y'all, somebody somewhere enjoys listening to it. So anyway. Uh, that was the Don Seeker. I am Daniel, and I will be back later. Uh, maybe I'll find a better one next time. I'll take it easy. Alan and Rosalie Bazzini present a film so unbelievably real proving that the most savage animal on earth is man. Seeds. The borderline so narrow between human desires and animal acts mark these people for destruction. Seeds sown in hatred, sown in lust, blossom into deeds so horrifying. Self-inflicted pain filled with the true pleasures of torture marked their every moment. Seeds. in control of their bodies spend every moment searching for the joys of the flesh. Vengeance, so much a part of their twisted lives, sends their world into a frenzy. Searching, pleading, denying no one until these primitive desires boil over into uncontrollable passion and violence. To learn the truth about the twisted lives of these people, you must see this motion picture. See. Speaking of uh, shrill incest and people draining blood, out of old ladies for no reason whatsoever and people getting electrocuted with melon heavy breasts and bathtubs. Uh, Vaughn, you want to describe to the listeners of Astro Radio Z, what is the plot for Seeds? Oh, God, really? Yeah, good luck with this one. <laughs> um, uh, okay. 
Can so, I just read the list of 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 characters in this? Because I wrote them down. Yes, Evan, before, go, before go for it. Do you think plot? this will help? Do you think no. this will help Vaughn in some way? <laughs> I think I have be... an idea. So, so this oh, okay, is it. Go ahead. And and uh, I'll read. And uh, this is this is kind of a concept. So it's an angry alcoholic matriarch of a family terrorizes and and pretty much treats them all like shit. Um, pretty much what happens is that you have the mother of this great family who seems to have had many loves and many many uh husbands um it's pretty much on her like 14th husband at the time um the her eldest her youngest daughter invites all the rest of her brothers and sisters over for the night and the mother is not particularly happy about this um yada 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 tits a lot a a lot of a lot of naked bathing a lot of sex a couple of roughy scenes um and you know it all it all culminates in a beautiful um you know staircase rumble if you know what i mean <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fun film that you can definitely see that the guy went from this and if we were able to get the eight films that were made between vapors and this you can see the definite hike of glory that he's making as he's making getting up the rungs of the independent films uh well when i can't i'm like kidding myself it seems like he's just completely thrown himself down the hill when he made this film because it, it reminds me a lot of those kind of like you know okay we're gonna make this quick we're gonna make this dirty um like let's get a whole bunch of people all these women who are like oh we're, are you willing to be naked i'm not paying you anymore are you willing to show your tits okay good get in you're, you're in you want to show your tits? You're in. You're the old lady. I don't want to see your tits. You're out. Um, you know what I mean? Like even like even the woman who's supposed to be play the matriarch, she is in like twelve pounds of of makeup and a oh yeah, and wearing like a, a veil. And they're like, oh, she looks great as an old lady, huh? She looks as young as her her youngest daughter. What are you kidding me? <laughs> and oh, well, and the father will just put an eye patch on him. That makes him look old. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Or the doctor that looks like some dude they just pulled off the fucking street. The doctor looks like uh, what's his name? Uh, what's Goulardi? Looks like yes, fucking, you know does. what I mean. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Okay, sure, that Dr. works. Cram. Yeah, this definitely has. As we had talked about before, um, there's a, a, a relation and a link between John Waters and Andy Milligan in yeah. Seeds of Sin. One thousand percent is that movie it feels like the same kind of thing that waters was doing with the dreamlanders where there's a troop of people that know each other are willing to go the extra mile and do whatever the fuck they can to make some trashy fun little movie only the difference between what waters was doing and milligan is doing is milligan's way more into the psychodrama than waters who's into satire and comedy yeah Definitely. So if you stripped all of the comedy, I mean, there's black comedy within Seeds of Sin for sure throughout yeah. its entire runtime, but it is played 100% straight mm-hmm. as if you're watching some drama from the 60s, some black and white drama. Now, well, a lot- well, you can definitely tell like his independent theater background is in there because definitely all these people, all these people know their lines. They all are competent, which is great. You know, you do get some films later where you definitely know that he had one good actor and he found everybody else on the street. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the ghastly ones, the guy, the main guy in that film, he's the main actor and everybody else is some kind of like low end friend or something like that. In this film, at least it feels like everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows how to react. Like all the girls scream properly. They don't overdo it. Um, it's just a really trashy fucking story. 
Yeah. You know, you have this pissed off old lady who doesn't want to see the rest of her kids. She fucking freaks out every time, anytime something that happens that she doesn't want to happen, she just gets pissed. Um, and they have to like knock her out, which is constantly, <laughs> which is every fucking minute. Um, and for some odd reason, they have the only way to, that really evens her out is if they drain about a pint of blood out of her. Which <laughs> I, did they explain to that, or was I just like that? I completely overlooked that. Like, supposed to be some sort of cure, like you know, the back in the day when somebody was poisoned or somebody had somebody? some ailment, they just like, drained a little blood out of them. Okay, mm. yeah. So yeah, so she's constantly getting blood drained out of her. No wonder she looks like an old raisin. Uh, and she she's constantly talking about like her ex-husbands um, and how like the current husband she has now and the current daughter she has with him she loves her sometimes it's all according to what day and what hour uh, or how how much drinking she's done because sometimes when she's completely so sober she can't stand her but after she's had a couple of beers she's like oh I love you you're the best um, <laughs> and that daughter is obsessed with one of her other sons um, one of her older sons who's married and they may have had a fling before he got married. Oh, they definitely had a fling. Right? It, it, it was more than inferred that through the course of their childhood, they had been yeah, schlepping. They've, they've had sex at one time, one time, many but, times, but they all, but all those, all the other brothers and sisters or brothers had all moved out. Um, and now they're coming home for this, for this one weekend. Um, and like you have the you have the you have a scene you have the freaking dinner scene which is just ridiculous. It's like let's let's put thirty five people on the smallest table in the world, <laughs> in the smallest room in the world, and have them try to converse with each other while like four or five of them are smoking. It's like oh that's just like what the fuck. There's yeah. con- there's plenty of sex scenes which I, I I love that and the sex scenes are where it's like. And now let me I want I've always wanted to ask this at the beginning of your film is there a weird sex scene at the start of the film. And the copies you guys have seen where it's like a, a guy with two girls on top of him, kind of like doing some weird like yoga. You know what I mean? No, the no. first sex scene in the, the version that I watched uh-huh. was uh, between the help. Okay, were were the right. two people that were plotting against like the caretakers that were plotting oh, against like, the mother. I remember correctly. I think it's like two blondes and a guy that are like rubbing all they're like laying on top of him and just doing some weird kind of poses all over and then the movie cuts into the beginning of the film where she's getting pissed off about the daughter so i'm wondering if that's the something weird video yeah that might be it that's the one well that's the copy you have it's called seeds of evil so that might be it because yeah yeah so mm, interesting i'll have to watch that version that sounds a lot more exciting than it just starts off the yeah i have a feeling that was just cut in there for the okay video because yeah it starts in and she's pissed because she's like well they called and i invited them to stay and she's like why did you fucking do that and she's like well why she's like i can't stand any of them and it's like oh okay that's a great way to start a fucking uh, uh, a schlog of a film and the father just stands there with his eye patch looking pissed no was he supposed to be the father i thought he was just a caretaker I think he was, well, because she keeps referencing, like, if your father wasn't here, if your father wasn't still alive, I'd definitely get rid of you. So he was another, he was one of her many husbands. That's what I, that's what I felt like. Well, they they reveal, they reveal, or uh, she reveals to Barbara that he's her father like while we're watching the movie wow right. i that I, that whole i missed that completely 
Yeah. yeah, and he probably and he probably lost an eye in one of the many uh, bloodletting affairs because it seems like when they throw her on the bed and they try to hold her down and they don't get the ether to her in time, he probably lost an eye midway through one of those many bloodletting aff- attempts. <laughs> oh, Mortimer. Yeah. Well, they're they're all. I mean, as the movie goes along, these people are all together, which would be a motif in a lot of Milligan movies going forward, where you have this strong matriarch who is a complete ice cold asshole and uh, and fucks up everybody's lives by treating them like complete and utter fucking dirt. And you have the rest of the family that have come together for some reunion, be it because of experiments or because one of them have died and the will is being read, or they all think that they're going to get money because the, the matriarch, the mom's about to die at some point. So they got to get there and get on the good side, blah, blah, blah. And then hijinks ensue through the rest of the movie. Um, This movie starts shrill with these people The you have the mom, the husband, which I never caught that whatsoever. (laughs) That is, that's amazing. In in the two times that I watched this movie, I didn't catch that. Um, The daughter, the youngest daughter and uh, the caretakers. Then the youngest daughter invites the rest of the family back so that they could have one huge hurrah, mostly because she wants to fuck her brother. I mean, that's the whole reason why they brought her back. But then as they're all back in their, you know, bed swapping in between rooms, Mm. I think at some point they all fucked each other. Well, that's what I got out of it. Well, like sisters or or wives are bouncing off each other rooms. Like it's, it's definitely like a weird kind of melodrama soap opera going on between all the brothers and sisters like you know either it's brother's girlfriend is going into the other room with the other brother or the brother's wife or the brother's going it's like okay or the ones the youngest daughter the younger sister is like going around fucking around with people um, and uh i i was uh interested in the priest matthew <laughs> he kind of he, he he's shown as as a uh, as another bad seed which is basically the uh where this title comes from yeah, these are yeah. all the the mother calls them bad seeds and uh matthew uh or it's revealed that matthew sort of <clears throat> uh corrupted the youngest buster which is uh, the young boy who went away to private school yep. right yeah who's who's been like thrown out of every school that he's been to by starting fires and all kinds of stuff like everybody is an absolute psychopath well because it, it it comes out through the movie that he was molested when he was young yeah mm-hmm. I caught that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I, when Buster, when, when he meets his end, which is by his own hand, Mm -hmm. he screams something. I don't know if you guys. Oh, I I don't remember. He says, point, I don't remember. Oh man. He's out there. He's out in the woods after throwing a tantrum and he runs, runs away and spoiler alert cuts his, cuts his wrist with a rock. And, uh, and he screams. He says, "This is the color of Michael." Oh God! As far as I could tell, he says, "This is the color of Michael." Talking uh, about his blood. That's you beautiful. Know, get that. But Michael's the oldest, I think. Uh, but yeah, um, and 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 Buster also says to his mother, "A bad seed comes from a diseased plant." So. Well, yeah, she's the diseased plant. Exactly. Absolutely. But, but the thing is, so 
who was the killer in this fucking movie? Oh my god, I don't. Was know. it the youngest? Because like you get, you get like I, I couldn't really tell. And then like at the very end when she's like, "Oh, you did it all, you did it all," to the youngest daughter, who you know, and she just gets pissed. Finally, she gives up, like kind of keeping the whole charade and pushes her down the stairs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I'm wondering if they're supposed to, if they meant to leave that somewhat ambiguous, because the last man standing is Mortimer. Yeah, and he's fine with it all. He just calls yeah. the police. It sounds like he's gotten what he maybe wanted all the, all this time. So does that put into question who's who's the one that was one you know pulling the one, radio into the bathtub and everything? Yeah, yeah. One thing you'll notice, Evan, when you see, you get past this film and you get to the other ones like the ghastly ones and the body beneath, a lot of those films have one thing where it is an angry family member, usually yeah. the father or the mother, um, who have some who are holding some kind of like like they're holding like the uh, the family estate over the rest of the kids' heads, right? You know, and that's what this film. This is the first one of these films, um, where it's like the this is the matriarch mother who hates everyone else, and she's she doesn't seem like she has much to hold over their head. She just doesn't seem to like them much. Well, they're um, just so fucked up in the head that she, yeah. you know, she's basically degraded them most of their lives to right. the point where they just will listen and do yeah. whatever she says to them. Right. It's just kind of like that, that Stockholm it, syndrome kind of it, cha- it changes drastically in the next couple of films where it's mostly the matriarch of the family is holding the estate or like the, like whatever kind of fortune these kids are going yeah, to money later in the films. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing with him. It seems like with a couple of his films, like, I don't know. Like, I know, I think if I remember, I think his father was well off. Yep. Um, it, a lot of it's, it, it's from what I understood. He yeah. had a horrible relationship with his mother who was ice yeah. cold and treated right. him like trash. So mm-hmm. a lot of this, when you watch the movies, you can yeah. definitely tell he pulled and gleaned a lot from his own life to put yeah. in. That's why there's like five movies that are essentially the same fucking plot. Well, they, they, there's two that is directly the same frigging movie movie. It's just different timelines. There are f- five or six where it's the same concept. Just keep going to the next film, to the next film, to the next film. Where he keeps bringing up the whole, he, you know, he had a lot of parent issues, so I guess he just kept writing it into stories because it's a good way to fucking write a horror movie. You know, it's like have an angry parent and then have the kids or have somebody in the family kill everybody off one by one. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that's a it's a great concept. So just keep running it into the ground. Um, but you can definitely tell that he like with with vapors, he continued with his films to continue. Let, let me let me pull, pull off my own life. Which is I always thought interesting. Edward, well, Edward didn't he didn't start doing that till the end. Till the end, like, he was more interested in fantasy and pulp yeah, and stuff like that. When the porno stuff started, he was getting more into like, let me put my own life. I mean, Glenn and Glenda is different because that was definitely something very biographical, yeah. But like the later films, it's the pornos and the, the kind of offshoot kind of softcore films, he pulled a lot from his life. And in this with Milligan, he seemed like he just was like, okay, I have no, I have so much kind of grief, I guess. And within my own kind of upbringing, and that it's like I'll just keep bringing it up in films, and it makes good, you know, good fodder. So why not? You know. Well, let's also say that in the way we're going to break up these episodes, there's a reason why we're going to do it multi- instead of the way that I did it with John Waters, where it was movie by movie by movie. We're going to break this up by year, yeah, because there are years 
Where he's in the first part of his career where he made four movies in a year yep. and they're all very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have a feeling because um, the way from what I understand is, is that he was making all of these movies off of split ends. He had a location and a crew of people that he worked with over and over and over again, kind of yeah, like the Dreamlanders. And they just they ad libbed a lot of this. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these movies that would come up, um, not so much Torture Dungeon, but some of the other ones right. were ad-libbed. Well, this film feels like an actual script. It feels like everybody's working off something. It doesn't feel like anybody's kind of doing whatever they want. The The sex scenes definitely feel like these people know each other because, or at least have been intimate with each other. Because yeah. there are blatantly scenes where it looks like they're having sex, just they don't show penetration. You know, you see guys humping women completely naked, and if they're having, if they have a cock on their a sock on their cock, you don't really see that. You can, but it, but these people don't seem to be bothered by being that intimate with each other. And even when they, even when they get violent with each other, it seems like they've done they've either rehearsed this or they've done this to each other before, quietly by themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like there are some scenes where like some of these women get strength, like are getting choked out where it feels like they're actually like, as they're screaming for, you know, in bloody terror, it feels like they've actually, uh, you know, have done this with the same person probably on their own on a Saturday night. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm sure they've, they basically all lived together from what I understood. Uh, Candy Hammond is, yeah. was actually married to Milligan at for this time while, yeah. for a yeah. year. And she, I, she's the youngest, uh, the one that's doing all the fucking around, I believe. Yeah, the youngest sister, yeah. Right, right. So that would that would make a lot of sense. Now, this movie in general, um, as we had said before, it's another, it's, it's funny, we put this t- one together with Vapors. Both are in black and white. Mm-hmm. This one looks a lot better than Vapors. But yeah. at the same time, still handheld, so there's a lot of dynamic um, camera angles he gets really in there with the camera but at the same time it's shaky as fuck it's yeah. <laughs> constantly <laughs> being canted the camera's being thrown all over the place the editing sloppy as hell it creates yeah. this frantic crazy manic energy that the performances we keep saying are very shrill and very over the top and very in your face but it's also what's being done with the camera and how the movie is paced and moving that this movie it, it you start to feel anxious in your fucking chest as you watch it what did you think of how like the craft of this evan oh yeah i completely agree they i love like like you were saying before i I mean apparently when we get to some of his other movies he's just going to set a camera up and and have actors do stuff in front of it but this thing yeah he's getting way in there he's got weird angles like aimed up through this the spiral or not the spiral staircase but you know you're looking all the way you know up into the second floor of the house in some of these uh shots and uh like those sex scenes I don't know if you guys could tell, but can you hear the direction being told to the to the actors? Because I there's a scene where you can hear it. Mumble. Yeah, there's some there's some. I mean, just like with vapors, where you would definitely hear the the camera skittering on the mm, audio. Yep, yep. In this film, well, you'll you'll notice this as it goes. And you know, like Evan, if you when you go into that middle section when we get there, you'll notice yeah. there'll be some scenes where he literally is yelling at people 
and it's <laughs> okay. just it gets cut out very quickly. You can hear him doing directions to people because like like uh like Derek said, some of these films were just ad lived on the spot. Like he had a concept, he said, let's do it, and they did it, and he was just throwing things at people as they were going. And yeah, he was there's probably like some slight murmur on the on the audio of certain scenes because it's you know he's so not that, you, he's not he's not a, he's not an you know he's not he's not an auteur he's a fucking he's making this shit on the cheap um you know trying to get a budget trying to get a movie made in a certain yeah. amount of time well on that on that note uh derek you mentioned and i've read this before that this is done with split ends right so that's like cheap film that's left over from other mm-hmm. uh, other productions or whatever Do you yeah think it's that a stuff that was unused yeah, yeah. so he only get a shot you know or you don't you don't get many takes and it seems like they lean really hard into screaming everything it's almost like well we can't make a mistake if you're yelling you well know? these aren't actors these are i mean even though some of them may have come from theater backgrounds these are some of these especially in latter milligan these are just people well like like i said with this film i feel i feel like this film he had they either knew what they were doing before they walked into it or they either rehearse something because there's some films later where they're where lines get flubbed like crazy. Oh yeah. Like things get fucked up and he doesn't care because he doesn't have the time or the money to do it. We definitely so doesn't do have it. the extra film to be able to retake that stuff. When this film, it feels like it feels natural. You know what I mean? It feels like yeah. these people, these people are a family in a weird way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it feels and a little, it, it yeah, feels a little propulsive. more worked out. Yeah. It feels a lot more worked out um compared to like the stuff that's going to happen later um when we get to them but this film feels more like a normal film and i think he you know i think as like like with derek saying that he get he would pop out four films at a time um i think when it became that time it was just like let's get this done let's get this done let's get this done um and now he's to that point where it's like you know he actually had the time to make a movie he was able to make two movies a year and it was like, okay, I can take the time and work on something, you know. And it's just as he as he got old, as the film years got more and more, the films got more and more. Let's get it out. Let's get it out. Let's like a chopping, you know, just chopping them out, you know. And this this film feels like, even like I said, a lot of the stories in the later in the later sixties, early seventies are going to feel like, oh, we're just repeating the same shit over and over again. This feels like the start of that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. This feels like something from somebody that this was a story he wanted to tell. And yeah. it's and it's I mean, regards the fact that the actors are all really overwrought. They really cool. just yeah. run for it. this. It's interesting, like the yeah. way because it's paced so quickly, there's mm-hmm. no breathing room for any of this. It just pops from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next yeah. thing. It's an exploitation film straight through, and it's not the kind of boring dirge yeah. that, as you would, you had said, we would come to know of Andy Milligan movies. This <laughs> this movie is if you are a fan. Of as I had said before, early John Waters. This is right up your fucking alley. Mm-hmm. I love th- these two movies tonight. There are four movies that I've seen so far of all of his movies that I genuinely would watch again. Seeds is definitely among them. Right. It, it is b- the darkest of comedies. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's not, there's no real jokes in it. It's just yeah. the it's camp in a way that I love camp. 
where it's genuine. It feels real. It's over the top and people are just fucking going for it. And Mm -hmm. the energy is balls to the wall. So this is a huge thumbs up for me, Evan. Oh yeah. I I loved this. This is what this, like I said, was the first movie that I saw and this is what made me really excited about Milligan and who knows if that's going to pay, pay off. It sounds like it may not, but well, um, don't, keep don't, an open mind, man. I, yeah, I will. Don't, yeah, don't, I'm not don't gonna... be, don't be a Derek. Okay. For God's sakes, relax. There's only one of me. There can only be one of me. Don't yeah. I, this is years upon years of hatred of Andy Milligan that, that's culminated into this opinion. Yeah. No one can get back curmudgeonly and <laughs> Get off my fucking lawn, Vaughn. <laughs> I was just going to, you were, you were talking about the, the humor in the movie. And I think it, that the humor, you're right. There's no jokes, but yeah. it's found in the, just the, the absolute over the top nihilism that he piles on to this thing. Like yeah, the characters when I was watching awful. this, there's not a good person not, in this no. movie. And that was a no. note that I made as you're watching the movie, you find out everybody is an absolute piece of shit and they have no conscience at all. And then, but there's one guy you, you kind of feel for Buster for a while until he starts talking about Hitler. Like, <laughs> and I, I just started. <laughs> for each and every person in this movie until something so fucked up happens like one of my favorite scenes in the movie and i'll let you finish your thought there in just a second is um the lead uh female candy hammond there's this scene where she goes off to her room and pulls out a bunch of muscle mags oh, yes yes her bed with these magazines that are obviously for gay men to sit and look at these muscle bound dudes and she starts jilling off to these magazines it's so <laughs> fucking funny it yeah. is so ridiculous the music that's over top of it and everything oh, the, mu- the music is so I, I watched it with uh subtitles and the and the way they described that music was perky but you're 100 right evan like at some point each and every one of these characters will do something where you're like yeah that person's a real fucking shit heel (laughs) they're questionable well so on on that same that same note one of the so there's several deaths that happen in this movie and one of them is michael's wife susan Mm mm-hmm and there, there's a scene like soon after, I think she's the one that was that accidentally stabbed herself or not accidentally. She was she was going to stab herself. And then whoever the killer is, you know, helps it along by slamming a door into the knife. Um, so this is Michael's wife. And then, you know, early in the morning, uh, the cops must have come. They say because they mention it. They say all oh, the cops just left at 3 a.m. And um and then, like the next day, uh, those two. Uh, when, what did I write? The next day, Michael is discussing Susan's death with his sister Carol, and they act like nothing bad happened. Like he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't care. Well, that, <laughs> it's well, like, well that's the thing. I that's the thing that these all these characters are because they're so kind of fucked up from their mother treating them like shit that they have like no real emotional compass. You know what I mean? They have right, like right. they they they're married to these people, but when something happens to them, they just don't give a fuck about it. You know, it's just they it, just throw it, it away. Like, which makes like it, it makes it yeah. hard to buy Matthew's suicide because yeah. like he somehow basically Carol Carol 
makes him causes him to commit suicide because because Carol basically comes on to to Matthew, yeah. her brother, who mm-hmm. uh, apparently this has never happened before. And he and she 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 teases him until he finally gives in and then she walks away. Yeah. And uh, and and so then he hangs himself. But I was <laughs> like, I was thinking, why? Why does where does where is this newfound conscience? Yeah. In Matthew, and Matthew doesn't care about God or anything. He even says as much early on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if any, if all of this fits together exactly the way that Milligan wanted to. I mean, you got to have some kind of pathos or whatever, but it seems to me that everybody is just supposed to be the absolute most psychopathic. Yes. Uh, I basically was thinking of it like in Freudian terms. I was thinking like these guys, these people have no sense, like uh, Vaughn, you were saying they have no emotional compass. They basically have no super ego. They, they're, they are only id and the expression of that, their ego, they have no third (laughs) component. They have no, they have no uh, reference to a, to a higher civility or anything. Or any concept of anyone outside of themselves. Yeah. Whatsoever. But it still seems to furnish some kind of internal world for them. Like they still seem to care about things. Like they they still get mad at each other about stuff and and they still get worried and guilt. And it it just doesn't, it's weird. It's weird that they would have that kind of internal world at all. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny having a conversation about stuff like this concerning a movie as downright trashy as <laughs> as it, it, it through and through it's a trash film there's yeah. there's no doubt about it oh, this yeah. is not going to appeal to most normie no film no, viewers no. no no nope this is for the exploitation fans if you're a fan of really trashy shit, you're gonna love this fucking movie. Yep. I did. Total thumbs up on this fucking gimmick. Mm-hmm. It's all punk. the fucking way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's yeah. I, no, I, I couldn't show this to like half the people I know because they'd be like, "Oh, this is dumb," and then walk out of the room. Well, it's also they, really dirty too. I mean, there's a lot of nudity. Well, I, I think that's what get, would get most of my friends into the movie. Would be the would be all the sex scenes and the nudity. Because they'd be like, oh, you know, but I think when it's like you get this kind of weird storyline and like no one's really relatable, I think that's where like half the people I know would kind of like bail out because it's like they need to have somebody in there. Sure. They need to have the straight person in there. Yeah. And there's all these people are horrible. (laughs) Like even the doctor's a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like no one like because the doctor's like, well, it took us two days. Like, you know, it's like, you know, they were like they didn't like no one in this house is anybody you can get behind. You know what I mean? You want the you want the place to burn down while they're all sleeping. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but I've but had like, movies where that that was the case, and I didn't like and you know I didn't like the movie on that account. But this one I liked. I was interested yeah. in the way it was going because there oh, was yeah. a little bit of a sort of a plot that you were you were uh-huh. kind of interested in, a little mystery, yeah. and also the just the personality of Milligan probably is just center of it. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't like any of these characters, but I want to know what Milligan's doing. <laughs> Like, yeah, where's definitely. this fucking going? Yeah. That's half the time when I'm watching most of Milligan's movies. I ask myself at some point, inevitably, where the fuck is this going? And as you ask that, that's when the car goes off the road and into the ravine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, There's definitely as boring as some of these movies are. And Seeds definitely isn't one of them. But as we go along, there is a definite voice at work 
yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> some of this right. stuff and it's it, it's shocking but um because i never uh, growing up watching this stuff man i one we had grown up with these movies looking like dog shit they were always on these vhs oh, just look like 57th generation dubs of these fucking movies they look like horse shit. They sound like horse shit because Andy Milligan comes from the school of sound design and sound recording where you place the microphone for your principal actors in a different room than they're in. <laughs> so you yeah. can't hear a fucking word that they're saying. So that's probably half the reason why they're screaming in the first drawer of the dresser and close the dresser door. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. Yeah. Now, give me your lines okay i uh, scream louder okay ah the reverb is louder than the direct sound that's being recorded into the microphone Mm -hmm. yeah so um i like that over modulation too it's almost like blown out like yeah like good (laughs) lo-fi music or something like that right (laughs) something weird video releases of this Uh, like i know that when the vinegar singer put it out they put out they remastered the whole fucking thing so it sounds a little better oh it's great but the vinegar syndrome the original you know something weird mike Fernie did a lot of a lot of work on trying to make those films you know look good even though like they didn't they didn't have the the, the kind of work you know the technology they have now but they still are fun films to watch even though they are black and white and they look like the the original prints were trash or kind of not the best and Right, but I still enjoy those old those old something weird tapes. Um, but yeah, the the vinegar syndrome disc probably makes it look a hundred times better than what I grew up what what I grew up watching. What I still watch for this show, it's beautiful. The release is beautiful. the the bra- the blacks and the whites are crisp. There's really there's some damage. Um, mm-hmm. What I really appreciate about that release, the new release, is that um, there's a lot of handheld shake in this movie, and it's totally not intentional. No. It's totally because he's just running everywhere trying to capture this, and yeah. most people would go in and try and stabilize that footage, mm-hmm. and they didn't do any of it. It is okay. what it is. Thank God. So um, I would definitely oh. recommend picking up the Vinegar Syndrome disc yeah, of this because it maybe, looks great maybe their next sale i might pick it up it's totally worth it um so that's uh seeds of sin seeds from 1968 folks it's the first episode of our andy milligan uh, director series that we're doing that i'm gonna blame all on evan he's yeah. the one i'm gonna blame all the trauma that i've gone yeah. through everything i'm doing uh, he he's gonna be the whipping boy for nice. this, but I'm also excited going forward to see what uh, Evan thinks of the movies coming up. Now, uh, I think our next episode, what we're going to do, because we decided we were going to do this in years. Yep. Um, but we're kind of cheating because Seeds was made the same year as the Ghastly Ones. Yeah, but we don't know the release dates for these films. Yeah, like, it's true. So... It's true. Um, so the next episode, I think what we'll do is these will this will be a good two for another double feature. We'll do the ghastly ones in torture dungeon, <laughs> which were made it respectfully in uh, respectively, I mean, in 1968 and 1969. Yeah. So now we're going away from black and white Milligan, which in my opinion, his movies work much better in black and white than they do in color the color for some reason 
shows off how cheap every fucking thing looks and is <laughs> in his movies, especially on the Blu-ray re-releases of this stuff. Holy shit, does his sets look and costuming looks cheap. He's doing it in someone's house. Yeah. But the black and white covers it all up and makes it look stylish. But anyway, so that'll be the next episode that we'll do in a month or whenever the fuck we get around to doing that next episode. That's that's what it's going to be like here now on Astro Radio Z is I have a life and other things to do. So we'll get around to this bullshit when we get around to this bullshit. How dare you? Yep. So you'll just have to fucking wait. You had to wait a year to get this episode. <laughs> I think you can wait a month. So uh, I, I want to thank uh, my boys that came on here, Evan and Vaughn. Thank you for deciding to do this with me. This is going to be interesting. Uh, the only way I could have done this is with two people that actually like this shit. Yep. There's yeah. no way it could have just been crotchety old Derek's coming well, up on this. Der- one, Derek, so. this, this may change with the next episode. Evan may be <laughs> on your side. <laughs> uh, I don't want to plant seeds in the Evans head about what he's about to come to. I want him to go in fresh. Seeds of sin. Don't plant seeds of sin in me. <laughs> okay, baby. You'll get the seeds of sin. Um, but I'm excited to hear what is said on the next episode. Uh, so look for that one now. Uh, this is the portion of the show where we shamelessly shill the fuck out of you. Evan, do you have a single thing in the entire world that you want to show on my podcast? No, absolutely not. This is the first podcast I've ever done. <laughs> uh, what do you think of that? How did it turn out for you? Pretty fun. Pretty fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, I thank you very much for coming on the show. I know this was a lot to ask, uh, but you are to blame for this. So that's why this is happening. So you had yeah, to come on. I had to have you come on, but, but Vaughn, you always have shit to shill. So shill. Uh, podcastmaniafun.com is a podcast. I do occasionally. We may be recording an episode next Monday. Maybe if it doesn't snow another foot in Canada, um, uh, motion picture massacre.wordpress.com is the podcast. I do normally by myself. You can hear a man talk to himself for uh, 40 minutes uh, every so many weeks. Um, what am I doing for that show? I'm supposed to, I was supposed to record with you, Derek, but that got pushed back a couple of weeks. So I decided to jump on stuff and I'm going to cover a, by the time this comes out, I'll probably, this episode will probably come out. It's going to be a 19, a 2009 film called Macho, Ta- Macho Tail Drop and Stay and Still Dead. Um, which I can't wait to do. Um, if you don't care to listen to any of that, um, kill yourself. But besides that, uh, it's been fun talking to you two guys. <laughs> I, I think that's a good good way to end the show. Kill yourselves, people. We started off the show acting like grumpy old fucks saying how much we hate horror podcasts. Yep. And uh, let's end it by just saying, you know what? Don't listen or don't go out there. Don't make any horror podcasts. Stop making horror podcasts. <laughs> Stop bringing back dead horror podcasts. Just yeah. kill you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Time slips away and I lose another day. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and anywhere that podcasts are found. 
please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. You want to hear more than just the regular show? Go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks and get not only bonus episodes of ARZ, but other podcasts like All the Gimmicks and the podcasts at Orgy Castle, all for the low price of $1 a month. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time, Astro Zombies. You know!